Well, as we get started this morning, I want you to do something for me. I want you to think about the ways in which you come to discover the truth of something. I'm sure that all of you in here have come to discover the truth about certain things by just being an eyewitness, right? How many of y'all have ever witnessed an accident take place and report it? Yeah, a lot of us have been in that situation. Another way we come to discover the truth is by having someone share what they've witnessed, right? Or have someone confess something to us and tell the truth. At times, our girls will do this. Not Joy yet, she just comes to tell on her sisters. But uh, Ava and Edie, at times they get a guilty conscience and they'll come in and say, Dad, Mom, I have something I need to tell you, you know, and they'll come right out with it. So that happens. And follow me here, get this. Sometimes we come to know the truth about something by a lie someone tells. Has this ever happened to you? Have you ever come to know the truth about something through a lie? Maybe they're not a good liar. You discover the truth through that. Let me give you an illustration of this. I heard a, a story a while back about a mom who was cleaning out her house and her kids were playing in the back and she hears her youngest daughter screaming and crying. So she rushes back to see what the problem is. One of her boys is sitting on the floor still playing video games, oblivious to what's going on. But the other one, the other son is cowering in the corner, looking guilty with his hands behind his back. And his mom looks at him and before she says anything to him, he says, Mom, I promise I didn't do anything. I didn't hit my sister with this toy behind my back. You see, the truth from a lie. At times, investigators will learn things through lies. Though they may learn the truth about a crime by having someone confess it or by hearing from an eyewitness, other times, those being questioned will lie and reveal things about the case they shouldn't know and place themselves in places and with people that the detectives can disprove. This happens. A truth can be learned from a lie. And we're going to see that in the passage we're going to look at this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 28. We are finishing our sermon series for April, our Easter series through Matthew's account of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And last week for Easter, we looked at Matthew 28, 1 through 10. We looked at the eyewitness accounts of the empty tomb, the angels, and the risen Lord. And today, we're going to end our series by looking at the cover-up to the resurrection in verses 11 through 15. We're ending this series by talking once again about the proof of Jesus' resurrection, but this time it's through the lies and the cover-up. Not only do we come to discover the truth about the resurrection, not only do we see the proof of the resurrection from the eyewitnesses who saw the empty tomb, heard from angels, had an encounter with the risen Lord, but we also learn the truth and see the proof of the resurrection through the incriminating lies of Christ's enemies. In verses 11 through 15, we learn 
that not only did word reach Jesus' followers that the tomb was empty, but word also reached his enemies. Look at verse 11 of Matthew 28. We're told while they were going, now let's stop here for just a minute, let's ask the question, while who were going and where were they going? Well, take you back to last week. Remember in verses 1 through 10, we learned that the women have an encounter with angels and with the risen Lord. They're the first to, to be eyewitnesses of the empty tomb and the risen Lord. And they hear from angels that Christ is not in the tomb. He has risen from the grave. And they are told to go and tell the disciples. And while they're on their way, they have an encounter with the risen Christ as well. And Jesus tells them the same thing, to go and tell the disciples. So we're told... While they were going to do this, behold, there's that word again. Matthew used the word behold all throughout this passage because he is, he is highlighting that something very, very important is taking place and you need to really, really pay attention. While they were going to do that, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priest all that had taken place. What did they tell them? What did the guard tell the Jewish religious leaders? They told them the truth. They told them what had taken place. Notice, all that had taken place is what they told them. In verse 4, we're told the guards had seen the angel descend and the stone roll back and him sit on the, on the stone and they saw the empty tomb. Matthew tells us, for fear of him, for fear of him, out of fear of seeing that angel, the guards trembled. They were paralyzed by fear, probably knocked unconscious for a few moments. So they saw the angel. They saw him roll the stone away. They saw the empty tomb. And what do they do? They go and they report it to Jesus' enemies, the chief priests. Now, why do they go there? Well, remember... Pilate had delegated these Roman soldiers to the care of the chief priests. So they go and report to them. And again, what do they tell them? They tell them everything. They tell them all that's taken place. The chief priests, the religious leaders, had done everything in their power to keep the body of Jesus in that tomb. They got permission from Pilate to put Roman guards up at the tomb. They sealed the tomb. There's no way anyone is getting in or going out. And now they're hearing the worst news imaginable. After all of that, they are hearing that the tomb is empty. Some ask, well, do you think the soldiers lied a bit to the chief priest about certain details of what happened? I don't believe they did. We're not told that. We're told that they told all that happened, right? And think about this. What story are they going to come up with that makes sense for why this group of Roman soldiers could not keep a dead body in a tomb? Not a good one, right? See that in just a minute. No, again, I believe they tell them every detail. They don't leave one thing out. They tell about the earthquake, the great angel descending, and the empty tomb. Now, you would think upon hearing this that it would have dawned on the Jewish religious leaders, uh, we killed the wrong guy, right? This man, Jesus, must be who he claimed to be. 
He must be the Messiah. You would think that would be their response, but it's not. Instead, they give the soldiers a story to sell and to tell. They bribe them, they blackmail them, they pay them off to cover up the truth of what happened. Sad, sad. Some of you can't believe that response. You think, man, how could they not believe? After all of that, how could they not acknowledge Jesus and believe that he was exactly who he claimed to be and give their lives up and over to him? Well, I've told you this before, and we'll say it again and again. Do not ever underestimate the power of a stone-cold and calloused heart. These religious leaders, they had that. They were committed to their unbelief. They were committed to being set against Christ. It didn't matter what happened. They were not having it. So they conjure up a story to try and cover up the resurrection. They bribe and pay off Roman soldiers, but their actions, get this, in verses 12 through 15, though they did all they could to try and cover up the truth, it does not hide the fact that Christ is risen and in fact, their actions actually give strong proof for the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Okay, so let's look at this lie they tell and the actions they take and explain why it gives proof to the resurrection. Notice first, they pay the soldiers for their silence. Not for their service, for their silence. Look at verse 12. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers. They had an official meeting. And whenever you see that, whenever it says they, they assembled with the elders or something like it, I believe that phrase or a similar phrase to that is used five times in Matthew alone. Whenever that phrase is used, it's talking about the meeting of the prestigious Jewish leaders the prestigious Jewish council, the highest and most important group among the Jews, the Sanhedrin, the 71. They were the, they were the top. They're at the top of the pyramid. They met together and they took counsel. And what comes out of that is not good. They conspire together to conjure up this story. They put together this dishonest plan this lie which shows you the state of things spiritually amongst the Jewish religious leaders in Jerusalem at this time when faced with the facts they chose to conjure up a story to cover up this miracle why because they cared more about their their position and their power and their influence than about the truth about what happened and about whether Christ was in fact who he claimed to be. John the Baptist, Jesus, and later Stephen and Peter and John were right in their harsh criticism of this group. They were a brood of vipers. They were whitewashed tombs. They were blind guides. They were enemies of the one true God. Here they are. They assemble together. They come up with this lie. They decide to pay the soldiers off. They give them money 
for their services. And this was not the first time they used money in this way, right? Remember, they paid Judas to betray Jesus. Now they're paying even more money, a significant sum to help with this cover-up. Now, think about this for a minute. If the soldiers had not seen angels and the disciples simply stole the body, why pay the Roman soldiers off? It's a good question, isn't it? Why, why not use those resources to find someone, hire someone to find the body of Jesus? Why didn't they do that? That's what they should have done if the body was stolen. But that's not why they pay these soldiers. They pay them for a lie, which gives proof to the truth, believers. They make no attempt to find Jesus' body. Why? It should tell us something. I believe these soldiers were shooken up and they were convincing. But the Jewish religious leaders could care less. They had no concern for what was true. I took this quote from a New Testament professor at Talbot Seminary, Dr. Michael J. Wilkins. This notes are, are found in your ESV study Bibles for those of y'all that have that. He says this, when faced with the reality of Jesus' resurrection, the religious leaders are forced once again to conspire together in order to preserve their religious and political influence. Sad, sad. What a horrible decision. They were willing to pay any price to lie about the empty tomb. They did not want people to even think that Jesus had risen from the dead. Why? Because they did not want people to follow him. They wanted people to follow them. And we hear that and we just can't hardly believe it. We hear that in disbelief, but there are people in our world today, get this, who do not deny the evidence given for, for Jesus' resurrection. They do not deny that Jesus is exactly who he claimed to be, yet they refuse to give their lives up and over to him and make him Lord and trust in him alone for salvation. Why? Because they like being the king of their own kingdom. They like being the Lord of their own life. Maybe that's where some of you are this morning. Listen, the enemy so badly wants you to stay exactly where you are. He does. Let me tell you, that path, if you're on that path, though you may be loving life right now, that path leads to death. Not my words, God's words. To be saved, you've got to not only believe in who Jesus is and what he has accomplished, but you've got to step up off the throne of your own life and bow your knee to King Jesus and give your life up and over to him. He asks nothing less than that right there. You've got to make him your Lord. You've never made that decision. I pray you would today. Today's the day to do that. So that's the first dishonest and incriminating thing they do. They pay soldiers for their silence. Notice number two, they give the soldiers what will be their story. Now we know what the, what the soldier's story was, right? 
They, they went and told the religious leaders all that had happened. They told about the earthquake and the angel descending and the stone being rolled away and the empty tomb. And after hearing that, the Jewish religious leaders consult with one another and they decided, no, that story will never do because if people hear that, they'll follow Jesus instead of us. So they decide to pay the soldiers for their silence and give the soldiers what their story would be. The story to tell, the story to sell. Look at verse 13. We're told, and they said to the soldiers, tell people, quote, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. Now, let's be honest here, other than the truth, this is the best story they could come up with. It's the only reasonable story that they had. The tomb was empty, right? They could go see it for themselves. So, so the only thing that they could argue at this time is we fell asleep, and while we were sleeping, the disciples came and stole him away. Not great, but the best they had other than the truth. This was the only story that people would believe in this day because the tomb was empty. Now, we have all kinds of theories given today. Some argue that Jesus passed out while he was on the cross and they thought he was dead. They put him in the tomb. This is a, this is a real view. And later on, in the cool of that tomb, Jesus woke up, he came to, and then used his ninja skills to uh, get by the Roman soldiers and get out without anyone seeing him. Others say they went to the wrong tomb, and I don't even want to go into that view, that they went to a wrong tomb the whole time uh, looking for Jesus. Some say they crucified the wrong man thinking it was Jesus. Some argue that hundreds of people had hallucinations and thought they really saw Jesus but really didn't. Others argue that someone impersonated Jesus and fooled people into believing it was him. None of those would have held up in this day, though they've gained traction today. The theory that someone took the body is the only story that makes a bit of sense, but when you really think about it, it really doesn't. One, it's not likely that all the Roman soldiers were asleep. This was not their first rodeo to do something like this. Some will say, well, it was a long night. Yeah, but it was divided into four watches. They always did this. Some were up by the, while the others were sleeping. And the ones who were up, they were never up for longer than three hours, never less than two. And then they switched off throughout the night. That's not a long period of time to stay awake. They did it a lot. Now, is it possible they all fell asleep? Yeah, anything's possible, but it's just not probable. It's really not. The second shady part of this story is that they say the disciples stole the body while they were sleeping. In this day, the Jews required two or more credible witnesses for a story to be believed. Today, we look for that kind of hard evidence as well, right? With this story, no one saw the disciples do anything. You know how I know that? Because they said it happened while they were sleeping. How do they know the disciples took the body if they were sleeping? So, so get this, in the gospel accounts, 
And in the accounts recorded for us in the epistles, we are told hundreds of people saw the risen Lord. According to the Jewish religious leaders and the Roman soldiers, do you know how many people saw the disciples take the body of Jesus? Zero. None. Why the soldiers say it happened while they were asleep? I would say that's more than reasonable doubt. Brad, am I right? Calling upon my lawyer here for the legal backing. Yeah. I mean, it's absolutely absurd to say what they say, but that's what they say. And they, they go along with it, and I believe it gives us strong evidence for the resurrection. Notice what else they do. Next point, they blackmail the soldiers to stick with their story. Look at verse 14. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. Now, think about this. Were it not for the Jewish religious leaders, do you think Pilate really cared what happened to the body of Jesus? No. The only reason it was a concern for him is because it was a concern for the Jewish religious leaders. And Pilate knew if the Jewish religious leaders had a problem, he would have a problem on his hands. And the Jews knew this, which is why they could offer up what they did in verse 14 along with money. They were, the Jewish religious leaders were, these soldiers' only hope. If they make a big deal to Pilate, these soldiers would have paid for it with their life. But the Jewish religious leaders basically say, hey, go with us with this story. We'll take care of Pilate and no harm will come your way. We will keep you out of trouble. Again, Dr. Wilkins says this in his notes on Matthew in the SB Study Bible. Look at this quote. The soldiers faced possible execution for dereliction of guard duty. One of the most severe offenses while occupying foreign territory. In cooperating with the Jewish religious leaders, they at least have a chance to save themselves. Folks, that's blackmail. That's blackmail. Again, you see the spiritual state with the Jewish religious leaders in Jerusalem. They are blackmailing Roman soldiers and paying them off to keep this story covered up. Now think about this. You got to think about this. If Jesus' body was really stolen by disciples, wouldn't the Jewish religious leaders be furious with these Roman soldiers because of all the trouble that would cause them? Don't you think that if it really happened in the way they said it happened, they would not be fighting for these soldiers' lives. They'd be calling for their heads, right? What's the only logical explanation here? There's a cover-up. There's a cover-up taking place. They don't want the soldiers to tell the truth about what happened. They don't want the story of the earthquake and the angel descending and the stone being rolled away, getting out, even though it eventually does. And how does it? Well, think about it. Not only are women on the move and the disciples about to find out, but there's also someone else on the move 
while this is taking place. The risen Christ is on the move, appearing to his disciples and, and others, explaining to them all that's happened. He appears to, to the women as they're leaving the empty tomb, to Mary Magdalene, to men on the road to Emmaus, to the twelve minus Judas and Thomas, and later to Thomas. More than 500 at one time saw the risen Christ, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15. I love that. The Jewish religious leaders are paying all they have. They're making every effort to keep this under wraps. But get this, it's hard to compete with the risen Lord. Amen? It really is. Jesus is on the move. Going to counter their efforts at every turn. But they sure think they're in the driver's seat. Notice the response of the soldiers. Now, this is really, really sad. How are the soldiers going to respond? Point number four, we're told the soldiers agree to be silent about the truth, take the money, and spread the lie. Sad, sad, sad. Look at verse 15. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. So after the experience they have, they, they showed they valued their lives and earthly treasures more than the truth. They felt the earthquake. They saw the angel. They saw the stone roll away. They saw the empty tomb. But instead of standing for truth, regardless of consequences, they took the money and they spread the lie. And notice, because they gave in, get this, many were led astray. We're told that this story was spread to the Jews. Matthew says to this day, to the day he was writing, many believe this lie. Believers, there are consequences to our disobedience. There is. You can be forgiven, but there are consequences that remain. Listen, I want you to hear this and never forget it. Personal sin always always, always affects others. It does. There, there is this communal nature to sin and its consequences, and the reason why is because when we sin, we don't sin in isolation on an island somewhere. We sin in the context of family and friends and church and community, and the consequences of sin are felt all around us. That's what we learn here. Because these soldiers lied, many were led astray. Because they valued their treasures more, because they loved their lives more, they lied and deceived many. And this explanation for what happened to the body of Jesus being stolen, it continued to spread. It continued to be embraced by the hard-hearted and the misguided. Matthew wrote this gospel 20 years after these events and people were still believing this lie. Some did not, many did. We learn later from Justin Martyr, who was a Christian who lived in the second century from the 100s to about the 160s. We learn from him that this lie was still circulating hundreds of, 100 years after Christ among non-believers. He said this, look at this quote by Justin Martyr. He said, you Jews selected men and sent them into all the world proclaiming that, quote, 
a certain atheistic and lawless sect has arisen from one Jesus, a Galilean deceiver whom we crucified, but his disciples stole him by night from the tomb. You say that we have deceived men by saying that he has risen from the dead and ascended into heaven. I love that quote because that's the second century and we see what true believers still believed about Jesus at that time and what the enemies were saying about Christ as well. You see, a hundred years after that lie was continuing, and believers, it continues throughout history and today. That's how many explain the empty tomb today. But folks, by just taking a few minutes to really assess the situation, this explanation can be easily disproved. The Jews paid off and also blackmailed Roman soldiers to spread their lies. They paid lots of money, worked as hard as they could to cover up the truth of what happened. Their, their story was that all the guards fell asleep, which is possible, not probable, because they set up watches and rotated throughout the night. They said that the disciples stole the body while everyone was asleep, leaving no room for eyewitnesses to actually see if that's what exactly happened. They were not angry with the Roman soldiers, but instead they defended them before Pilate, which would not have happened had Jesus' body actually been stolen on their watch. And get this, no one goes to look for the body of Jesus. No one. And you know what the disciples did? They set up their ministry right smack dab in the middle of Jerusalem. They plant a church right there and begin to minister. Now, don't you think if one of them had stolen the body and they were keeping it hidden, they might move off elsewhere and try to spread Christianity? But instead, they stay at the exact place where Christ was crucified and buried, and that's where they minister. And no one finds his body. Why? Because he's risen. He's risen. They did all they could to try to cover up the truth of Jesus' resurrection. And though the story of the stolen body of Jesus has been circulating to this day and believed by many throughout history and today, so has the truth of his resurrection. I want you to look at this picture up on the screen. I want to tell you something, believers. The tomb is empty. Follow me here. The tomb is empty. The eyewitnesses are many, therefore the evidence is plenty. How about that? I sound like a preacher, don't I? Came up with that on my own. I'm proud of that. Write it down. The tomb is empty. The eyewitness accounts are many, therefore the evidence is plenty. So the question I want to leave you with today is the same one I left you with last week. What say you? What say you? Do you believe it? Do you believe Jesus rose from the dead. The Bible tells us that he did. God in his word tells us that Jesus is risen and he gives us an overwhelming amount of evidence to prove it. And the question for you today is simply this. Do you believe it? Are you trusting in Christ alone as your risen Lord and Savior? If not, would you today? Would you forsake your sin Step up off the throne of your life and bow your knee to King Jesus and give your life up and over to him and be saved. I pray you would if you have not today. Let's pray.